This is the Midweek Horror Podcast with Hannah Fox and Alice Reed. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Midweek Horror Podcast. I'm Hannah Fox. And I'm Alice Reed. So, today we are going to be watching a film called The Innocence. Innocence or Innocence? I was Uh, thinking about this the other day. TS at the end. TS, yeah. So, more than one innocent. Excellent. Fair to say we're both quite excited about this one. Yeah, one of the absolute classics Mm -hmm. of the genre. But one that neither of us have ever seen. So we thought it would be a good one to choose. Absolutely. So what do you know about this? Nothing, actually. Apart from, I've always known the name of it because it's been around for a while and like you say, a bit of a classic. But actually, I don't know a lot about it. How about you? Um, I know a little bit more about this than our usual picks. Um, I guess because it's been on my radar for so long. Mm. It's an adaptation of a Broadway play of the same name that was based on The Turn of the Screw by Henry James, which is one of the classic ghost stories. Um, I believe it was adapted or co-adapted for the screen by Truman Capote. Right. With the playwright of the stage version, who's called Willie Marchibald. And it was produced and directed by Jack Clayton from the UK. Uh, I know it's set in the UK. Yeah. Um, I did read The Turn of the Screw many, 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 many years ago. See, I never have, but now I'm thinking I might want to. And Any good? I can't even remember. Mm. Again, um, it's one of those classics you always, I've always known about, just never read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know vaguely what it's about. It's about a governess who's looking after two young children and she thinks the house is haunted. Um, yeah. But there's a question mark over whether she's crazy. And didn't they... I think they based something else on that as well. Um, I want to say the others, but I could be wrong about that. Um, I you don't know, know my if... facts. <laughs> <laughs> I would certainly say the others would be part of a tradition in ghost storytelling. That yes. The turn yeah. of the screw had a huge influence on. And um, there have been quite a few other adaptations of this, though. There's been a couple of like TV movies adapted from it. Last year's The Turning was didn't, based on the, the Turn of the Screw. Didn't see it. Uh, I don't think it was very well reviewed. I haven't mm, seen it either. Okay. So that's what I know about The Innocence. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see it. Also, we're going to be on our best behaviour today with no effing or blinding. No effing and jeffing. Yeah. <laughs> we're not going to have any zany outtakes before the credits. <laughs> Absolutely not. Because very we, professional. We've got some uh, guest segments that have been recorded for us, and I'm really excited to play them mm. once we're reviewing the film. Alice is even wearing a tie just for the occasion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so without any further ado, shall we watch the trailer and then report back? To the trailer. Trailer. Wowie. Wowie. Absolutely love it already. Oh, yeah, me too. Brilliant. A classic old horror film of that time. Yeah, yeah. And just to be clear, the trailer we watched wasn't like, um, at last, faithfully restored by the. No. That was the actual trailer Original from trailer. the cinema release at the time, yeah. I love the, um, the old voiceover as well. The 
do all the dead ever return to prevent yeah, yeah. the living and proper old school? Yeah. So that wasn't at all what I expected because it's a sort of English ghost story. I thought it'd be very restrained and quite mm. buttoned up. Like, I dare say, <laughs> do you see a shadow in the corner of the room? <laughs> Where she was freaking out about the oh, yeah. and that woman goes, "Is he very handsome?" Oh yes, <laughs> such a pity. <laughs> I it was a lot more over the top, and the trailer was very much yeah. um, a product of its time. We laughed at quite a lot of it, but like the booming, echoing voiceover, mm. the sound, like the echoing laughter, and the screeching. The kind yeah, of screechy yeah. sound, yeah. It, it it just looked a lot more intense than I was expecting. I think a, a combination of the setting and the period and the fact that it's in black and white, I was expecting something really quite cosy and... Yes, and maybe um, sort of slower. Yes, yeah, slower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it looks brilliant um, and still quite eerie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. It's definitely. really weird bits, which I was like, ooh. Quite scary, um, and just very classic. Like at one point, Deborah Kerr, uh, Deborah Kerr's character is walking up some like spiral steps yeah, with a candle yeah. in the yeah. dark, a proper like old melted kind of a uh, sort of uh, what do they call them? The big old uh, heavy candles. Do they have a name? Just candles, candles I think. Candelabra. No, not really. I suppose big candle. <laughs> Technical term. <laughs> Story wise, I think the only thing you can really absorb mm. is the fact that Deborah Kerr is experiencing some kind of haunting in a house. Yes, and she's being kind of terrorised by this man or spirit man who's kind of just, we've just kind of seen at the moment as like a dark face. Yeah. But very handsome. Yeah. <laughs> Terri- terribly <laughs> handsome. Terribly handsome. And the children, the boy certainly, and there's an implication that he also knows about the ghost. Because she's saying to him, you know, who, who told you those stories? And he says, oh, nobody, I made them up. And she's saying, no, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. And mm. he says, no, I promise I'll never do it again. And then freaks out and chucks a stone through a window, which looked like a very effective scene. Yeah. Because in the trailer, at least, there's a moment where he turns and he's scowling, but superimposed over that, you've got the echoing sound of him laughing. Which was really quite effective, quite just eerie. as a weird, eerie image, yeah. And then there's the little girl as well who seems to kind of hate her and was running and crying and screaming at her. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, but it was really hard to really understand what was going on because it was all really quick, kind of almost like a sort of montage of really quick scenes. Yeah, so. and a lot of the trailer, to be honest, was focused on the booming voiceover. <laughs> I liked how he told you about how all of them had appeared in other films. Yeah, yeah. Appeared in. Yeah, yeah. It was a bit like, hi, I'm Troy McClure. <laughs> <laughs> that was a proper oldie, oldie worldy, mm. golden age cinema trailer. Yeah. There were the, some of the bits that made us laugh. I was sort of laughing in delight rather than derision. Same, same. Uh, Absolute delight. Okay. So to, to our predicted scores. Absolute five. Yeah. I think it'll be brilliant. It's so different as well to anything else that we've... I already know already it'll be so different to anything else we've watched since we started doing this. So I'm really looking forward to it. Even not knowing it was a classic, mm. I absolutely love that trailer. I'd be thinking, I've got to see this film. 
Me so I, I, yeah, I'm predicting a, a solid five stars. Hopefully it delivers. Yeah. So let's go watch the film and we will report back after the jingle. Was really good. Me too. I really enjoyed it. Very eerie and creepy. And I think, like we said before, very different to what we've seen and reviewed before. It went a lot darker than I was expecting, especially because I think at the beginning we were really loving the period charm of it all. We were the quaint the quaintness. Yeah. yeah. And it went a lot darker than I expected. I think because of the the time period it was made. Um, and I also think the type of film, it made it sort of seem more creepy and eerie, I think, than anything else we've watched so far. It's sort of very lonely feel to it, which I think we were supposed to feel because that was how the woman was feeling, kind of very alone with her issues and what was going on. Yeah, yeah, isolating. Very isolating, yeah. And I think, as the audience, you feel like that as well. I'm a kind of quite eager to get on to our spoiler section. Me too. So, shall we give it our stars rating and yep. then play the spoiler jingle and then just go nuts? Just go absolutely nuts. Yeah. Um, I'm going to stick with my five. Yeah, I think it's got to be a yeah. five. I think it's a classic for a reason. Yes. And I think even though, in terms of how the film's put together, it's a product of its time, I think we... Well, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Certainly wasn't perfect. Um, I've got a few points to make about it that I th- where they, I think they could have improved it, but it was a classic, and yeah. I, I agree, thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay, super. Well, let's have the spoiler jingle, and then we'll knock ourselves out. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> So the first spoiler of the spoiler section, yep. I think, uh, was the revelation that the stone that Miles threw, <laughs> threw through the window in the trailer was a tortoise. But not just any tortoise. <laughs> Rupert. Rupert the Rupert tortoise. Rupert the beloved tortoise of Flora. Oh, oh. What, a, what a tragic end for a... Well, was it the end, though? Could a tortoise survive that? That's what I kept thinking. Because... <laughs> Shell. Yeah, Maybe he true. Was just dazed. True. He might have thought, "I've had enough of this house." <laughs> <laughs> and just very slowly took his leave. Um, Sad times for Rupert. <laughs> so, do we do we want to say a bit about the plot to to start? Yeah, I think yeah. I think we're free to do that now. Yeah, I mean, I think we can sort of say it quite quite loosely. Um, basically, a weird weird old creepy country house. A new governess gets appointed to look after two orphaned children who are kind of wards of their uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, the uncle could not be less asked, could he? And he <laughs> says it many times, <laughs> which I really loved. Yeah, when yeah. he was like, don't bother me, not interested, like being in London, don't care about the kids. And they're like, oh, okay. 
Um, so Uncle's very absent. Um, this new governess comes in, played by Deborah Kerr, and she's, I would say, from the start, she's not, she's not experienced, is she? No. She relies very much on the kind of chief housekeeper to sort of help her out. She's, she's very nervous. She's not sure she's going to do a good job. Even when she's been there a while, mm. I think she shows her lack of experience. Yes. Like when Flora is being disruptive in their little classroom with just the two kids and she throws a pencil. <laughs> yeah. Her response to that is, well, I know, let's pretend it's Flora's birthday. What do you want to do on your birthday? Yeah, let's have a party. Okay. That's not how you discipline unruly children, Deborah. No. Uh, yeah, so, so not, not great, but anyway, she, she carries on. And as the film continues, she becomes more and more obsessed with the fact that she's being haunted by the spirits of the dead governess who was there before her and the, now was it the uncle's, Valet, I Valet, think. that was yeah. it. Yeah, who seemed to be running the house some Quint. time before. Yeah, Quint. Quint and Miss Jessam? Jessam? Jessup? Do you know what? I can find out. Yeah. We've got an excellent book here. That I, think, has a I chapter. want to say Jessup. We'll talk more Jessup. about this book in a bit. Mm. Anyway, um, while you're looking through the book, I'll, yeah. I'll this is what we did before we had Google, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> Actually, read things. Amazing. Jessup. In Carter Britannica, that was brilliant. Miss Jessel, okay. Did <laughs> you just say in Carter <laughs> Britannica? It was it was just called in Carter. Was it? Was Britannica something else? Yeah, there's the Encyclopedia uh... Britannica. <laughs> I just merged them. Anyway, in Carter it was brilliant. <laughs> Everything you wanted. Do you know what? I'll edit this out. But do you know what a phrase I've not heard for years is? CD-ROM. CD-ROM. Do you remember how excited we were about CD-ROMs? One of them being in Carter. Shame, (laughs) I'll never know the joy. (laughs) Anyway, we digress. Um, So, yeah, she thinks, she keeps thinking that she's being haunted. Well, the house and the children, more to the point, are being Mm. possessed by the spirits of these two dead ex-staff. Who um, had a horrible sounding love affair. Yeah. I mean, th- this is revealed gradually, but mm. it was an abusive relationship where Miss Jessel was s- sort of uh, blind with love for this um, handsome bastard, Quint. Yeah. Who used to knock, knock her around. Out. Yeah. Yeah. But then as, as it goes on, our dear friend Deborah, she, you're not sure whether she is seeing these things or whether she's actually losing her mind. Yeah. And suddenly this kind of, um, I would say that we see like a rapid increase in, like with, with her kind of becoming more and more upset about what is going on and a bit, it all becomes a bit more bizarre. So she's seeing all of these things all over the place and everyone else is like, oh, we don't see anything. And then as the film goes on, this gets worse. The kids start to, well, they kind of don't really like her as much. Because when she first starts, they're all made up that she's there. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the film, the kids have just had enough. And, you know, they seem pretty traumatised by her behaviour, <laughs> yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the little girl and the housekeeper, actually all the staff, go away. This is sort of at the end of the film. Deborah Kerr sends them away. She sends them away, yes. Sorry, she, that's a good point. She's got a mad scheme. Yeah. Where she thinks that if she's alone with Miles, 
she can get him to admit that he's being that he's fallen under the malign influence of the ghost of Quint. Yes. And she thinks that getting him to admit it will sort of save his soul. Now, one thing I will say, so I think there's famously some ambiguity in the turn of the screw, mm. uh, whether it's is she insane or are the ghosts real? And I think this film definitely came down on the side of she's insane. Although there's still some ambiguity there because she might have been going insane because of the influence of the ghost. Yeah, yeah. But she definitely descends into dream logic where she's very confidently making claims about what's going on and how they can sort it out, Mm. which don't quite connect up logically. But like I said to you, I wondered whether that was because she mentions early on that her father was a minister uh, and about her life with him when she was a child. So I wondered whether she just felt like she knew about this because her father had had to do maybe uh, exorcisms or deal with spirits in some way, bad spirits in the past. But at the same time, although she mentioned her father, she never mentions this. That was just something I thought was possible. Mm. But she seems very confident about what they should do. Yeah. A bit too confident. Yeah. Yeah. Too confident in the leap she's making when there's such tenuous leaps. Yeah. But anyway, so this gets worse and worse. And at the end scene, um, after Miles throws a tortoise through a greenhouse, as one does... (laughs) Um, she is kind of shaking him and arguing with him. And then she really starts to see the ghost of Quint. Like, he's kind of upon her, isn't he, at that point? Yeah, Um, yeah. And the next thing, she's saying, Miles, Miles, he's he's there, say his name, say his name. And then it seems like Miles faints, but then he's suddenly dead. And then it's the end. Yeah. Uh, And before he faints... He's obviously sick of her antics. Because he's, he's going, where, where is he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I wondered, actually, because, you know, she finds, at one point in the film, she finds a pigeon or a dove, I think it's a dove, under his pillow and someone's wrung its neck. Yeah. I wondered whether she had done that to him and whether that was like the white innocent dove was kind of like a metaphor for him later on in the film. So without realising it, because she's crazy... Yeah. She's killed him. Yeah. If if we are going, kind of, edging more to the side that she has lost her mind. Which, like you yeah. say, it's still not... He's still not certain about that. It's not that we know that for sure. We're, we're like, well, she might have done. But actually, she might actually be being, you know, really, really haunted. Yeah. So that's bit. Would you say that's a fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. The plot? I mean, it's it's quite difficult to sort of summarise actually because I think you really need to watch the film. I would definitely yeah, recommend yeah. it because well, it's, it's it's good. I hope they've already seen it well, <laughs> yeah, before so, listening true. to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry guys, if you haven't, you've only yourselves to blame. <laughs> yeah, we have a special jingle and everything. Um, something that we can talk about in a bit more detail as we go on. There is a very weird sexual undercurrent. And I I don't just mean in the sort of old-fashioned ghost story sense of, is this just the manifestation of her hysteria caused by sexual repression? Oh, no. I mean weird, dark stuff around the kids. Especially her and Miles. Yeah, that was a bit... 
It's like it's a bit bonkers. It's like she kind of finds him quite alluring. Yeah, yeah. And at times she seems a bit like hot and flustered by her conversations with him. Yeah. They're always very close together. She was kiss, very kissy on the mouth with him. Yeah, well. there was there was <laughs> there was two kisses that I just don't think you'd be allowed to have in a film today <laughs> on the grounds that one of the participants is an actual child. And they yeah. were so it starts to go a bit sexual when uh, what I say Mrs. Miggins <laughs> What's she called? <laughs> Gross. Miss, yeah, Mrs. Gross. <laughs> she hasn't got a pie shop. <laughs> She's talking about the yeah, the love affair. That, well, love affair. The relationship that Quint had with... Jessel. Jessel, Miss Jessel. I'll edit that seamlessly. And she says um, rooms in daylight were being used as if they were dark woods. Mm, sexy time. Yeah, and Debs is like saying, did the kids see? And she said, well, I couldn't say, but they used, you know, they used to follow Quint around. Now, towards the end, when Debs is going about with her candlesticks, her multi-pronged candlesticks, in a really brilliant, eerie scene, and she's hearing, the sound production was really eerie, she's hearing all these voices that sound like snatches of the past. And one of them is you can hear a woman saying, the children watching, the children watching. And then Debs, what's Debs' character called? Oh, God, um, Miss... Debs, Debs. it's Debs. <laughs> she comes across... Gibbons, Funky Gibbons. Gibbons. <laughs> she comes across the pull for some blinds repeatedly knocking against the window. And as it's knocking, you can hear the woman saying, love me, love me, love me. Yeah. And it's, I was just thinking, this is a bit saucy <laughs> for 1961. Yeah. But even, do you know, even before that, when my, really early on, when Miles gets sent home from uh, boarding school and you, you know, she's kind of planning on telling him off and then she meets him and she's all very like, oh, Miles. Well, even yeah, then, yeah. it's a bit weird between, I mean, not so overtly. But there's, it's odd between them. It's not a relationship a grown woman has with, like, what, a 12-year-old no. boy? But this, to me, if it sounds like I'm laying into it or criticising it, is why it's very effective as a horror. Yes. Because that sort of undercurrent really creeps me out, if I'm honest. Mm, me um, too. And sort of had me a little bit on the edge of my seat, thinking, oh, God, what's, what's going to happen? Yeah, it's like, what, uncomfortable. Yeah, uncomfortable. Mm. Especially because, like I said, I interpreted Debs' behaviour as the things she's saying and the way she's saying them are the actions of somebody who's losing contact with reality. And when she's sending everyone away so she can be on her own with Miles, that was just really, yeah, uncomfortable, like you say. Very much so. You're like, she's in charge of these two kids and she really shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah. And you feel a bit sorry for um, Mrs Gross because I think Mrs Gross is... is kind of being kind and trying to help her and support her. But you kind of get the feeling, actually, Mrs. Gross is thinking she's losing her mind and she doesn't really know what to do about it. But when Mrs. Gross goes, you really feel for Miles because he's got no one there. He hasn't got that kind of voice of reason anymore. I I think she lost the support of Mrs. Gross when she was trying to get Flora to admit that she could see the ghost of Miss Jessel. Mm. And she's like grabbing her, going, You can see her, you can see her. And later she says to Miss, Mrs. Gross, like she just assumes that Mrs. Gross could see her too. And she says to her, Ah, so you pretended you couldn't see her. 
Mrs. Gross says, I, d- I didn't have to pretend anything. Yeah. And that's when Debs decides to send everyone except for Miles away. And Mrs. Gross says, well, what, what do I tell their uncle? And she says, tell them the truth. And she sort of looks at her and says pointedly the truth. Like, and you can see the cogs going around. I think Mrs. Gross took that as permission to basically tell the uncle, your governess has gone nuts. <laughs> because in her head, that was the truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that sort of kind of gave her license because she didn't, Debs didn't say to her, tell her we've got some ghosts here. She just said, tell him the truth. That's a good point, yeah. And Mrs. Groves went, the truth. Mm. I think, shall we have our first guest segment? Yeah, good plan. Hello, my name's Matt Glasby. I'm the author of The Book of Horror, The Anatomy of Fear in Film which is an in-depth illustrated guide to the scariest movies ever made. Now, The Innocence is one of the earliest films featured in the book, and I think also one of the creepiest. The idea behind the book was to try and isolate the different ways that horror films can scare us, and The Innocence is a really good example of two of these. The first is Dead Space, which is about leaving room behind the subject of a shot so that people watching the film expect something to jump out. If you think of the scene where Miss Giddens is hiding behind the curtain, Peter Quid's face appears from the darkness. There's that sort of vast expanse of glass behind her, and I think subconsciously we're waiting for something to appear, and his face does as if out of the ether. Um, So I think having big expanses of space like that in a shot automatically make us sort of wary. The other thing The Innocence does really well is it's got great examples of the uncanny. If you think of the scenes where Miss Jessel appears across the lake, on the face of it, it's just an image of a woman standing, looking. But actually, she's standing in the reeds, she's dressed in black, she's completely still. And you just register on a sort of subconscious level the fact that she couldn't be there, that there's something wrong in this frame. And I think things like using dead space and the uncanny are much subtler than things like jump scares, which kind of build to a crescendo and dissipate. And I think they give the innocence a real power. Oh, thanks, Matt. That was great. So that was Matt Glasby. He's an international film journalist, uh, author and member of the London Critics Circle. Uh, And I will say I've got a copy of the book. I was just showing it Hannah and it is absolutely superb. There's over a hundred films in it mentioned in varying degrees of detail. Uh, There are lovely infographics, including for each of the main films, there's like this timeline Oh, of how yeah. of how the scares work across the film <laughs> Brilliant. with like a key, so you can look at a spike and see uh, uh, what happened at that spike. Ah, so that's quite cool. Interesting. There's beautiful illustrations by uh, Barney Bodono. Absolutely beautiful. The I, works of art. I just yeah, I got a bit engrossed in it earlier. I'd never seen it before, but definitely going to get myself a copy because it's a lovely book um, and looks really interesting as well. So fantastic. It's from White Line Publishing. Heartily recommended. One thing we were talking about doing actually is going through this book and working out which of the films neither of us have seen. We can use it as sort of our reference point when we want to dip in and do a classic. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about Dead Space, I think, so one of the reasons why that window scene was really effective for me is at various points after that, I noticed when there were windows in the background. Yeah, and... In case, you know, and you're thinking, is a face going to appear? Is a face going to appear? But also, 
I like the use of dead space when nothing does appear. So like I notice many times actually she's walking through the gardens and they leave a lot of space behind her. And I was always looking out a bit. And because it's black and white, as I said to you earlier, you can't see that well um, into the distance. So I was trying to see if anything was coming because they had used it um, in other parts of the films where something had appeared. So that was great because I was always a little bit on edge expecting something to appear. Yeah, yeah. So um, really interesting that Matt brought that up because uh, I'd thought about that and I couldn't think of the name for it. And that's, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and how nice to hear someone professional speaking on this podcast for once. <laughs> <laughs> someone who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> we're, we're professional, huh? Yeah. We're professional. <laughs> well, <laughs> we try. So, anything else that we haven't touched on yet in The Innocence? Anything you particularly liked, didn't like, or thought mm, would have changed it? I thought... So, something that I thought was dated but I found charming was just the... Um, everything was very mannered. Very mannered, yes. And some of that was deliberate because I think part of the eerie effect of the children was the way they talked in a way that was just too grown up. Yeah, they um, sounded like little old people, didn't they? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But even Debs had a very mannered way of um, expressing herself. She did. It was all very proper, wasn't it? Very formal whenever they spoke to each other. I liked that. I think it... Yeah. yeah. Like you said, it's dated. It'd be weird if they were doing it now. Mm. But, um, yeah, I like that. I like the use of the old-fashioned music box and the eerie oh, tune yes. throughout. That melody in the mm. score, Willow Whaley. What a beautiful song. Yeah, but but eerie. Yeah, yeah. That was perfect. And yeah. the opening, when you could hear Flora just singing it, that was a brilliant opening for a horror film. Yeah, very good. Um, and they kept it going throughout, whether that was the music box, one of them singing it, one of them humming it. Miles playing Miles. it on his piano. Yes. So that was good. I enjoyed that a lot. I also liked how it was sort of, um, apart from that song, it was quite quiet. Mm. Um, so when you heard music or a scary kind of sound or something, it, you were kind of like, I wouldn't have said, I wouldn't say it goes so far as to say I jumped, but you were alert to it. Yeah. Yeah. You knew we were in scary mode. Yeah. Um, and some great imagery. I mean, her with the candle slash candelabra as she's walking around the pitch black house and you just see old yeah, paintings yeah. and you don't know what's around the corner and you're hearing little noises. Very classic horror. Yeah. I, I thought that that was one of my favourite scary sequences was when she was wandering around with the candles and hearing either in her head or in the house those little fragments of conversation. I thought that was very effective. I like that a lot. I it wasn't a big thing, but I I didn't kind of like well, I didn't I didn't I didn't like how it just ended so abruptly. I thought they could have done uh, just a little bit more just to say something. Don't get me wrong, I don't think I think it would have been a shame to explain everything, to be like, "Oh, it's fine, she was just mad all along." But I felt like it maybe needed one more scene. I would have liked the scene to be her in the madhouse, because that still leaves the ambiguity. Exactly. Because even if the ghosts are real, people would have thought she was insane. Yeah. Or just something so, you know, the uncle perhaps in his office is saying, talking about the tragedy of, you know, the murder of Miles. Or so. I don't know, just something that where we're like, 
but was it her? Or what? Just something extra, I don't know. Just felt like it ended too abruptly for me. It'd be funny if they told the uncle, he was like, I don't give a shit. Don't care. <laughs> you sort it out, Miss Gross. <laughs> I'm off to Italy for the summer. <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, I agree. Just, it's just a minor thing though, really, because uh, it, it didn't, it didn't mean that I was then going, oh, that's ruined it now. I yeah, was just yeah. like, oh, I think it could have done with an extra yeah. scene. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying they had to return of the king it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just one, ex- one extra scene would have done. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I don't know, actually, I'm really, I'd be really keen actually now to read or watch, um, a production of the turning of the screw actually to see how that was. Yeah, me too. Or different. Do you know what? We could do a little run of all the many films that have been based on it. Um, Because there was even a remake of The Innocents recently. So not just another Turn of the Screw film. Mm. A film of that. I've got this BBC adaptation of The Turn of the Screw. Oh, yeah. uh, Which, for the benefit of the tape, I'm now showing Hannah a DVD case, which I've not seen yet. Um, I, I don't know. I suppose it depends what your appetite is <laughs> for the term. Of How many times do you want us to talk about this film or a slightly different version of it? <laughs> what, yeah. We could we could go for ages. <laughs> what one thing we could do maybe is have a turn of the screw marathon. And then just do like a roundup episode where we talk yeah. about them all. Where we agree that we do literally like a paragraph on each. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shit, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that would be interesting. Just because I wonder whether any of the others have done more at the end. Yeah. Or, yeah. or if, whether it's just been really quite different. I don't, I don't know. But, um, for me, that was the only bit really that I thought, hmm. Otherwise, I I thought it was really well put together. I thought it would have been interesting to see a version of this film. So something that I think was, and I don't mean this as a pejorative, quite rushed, was Deb's, how quickly she went through the journey of thinking something's wrong, having a theory about specifically what is wrong, being confident of that theory then having an idea of how she can fix it. Mm. That all seemed to be very condensed. And that was one of the, it, it didn't detract from the film. Mm. It just made me think, okay, Debs is crazy. She's into dream logic mode. If so, for me, it would have been a very different storytelling experience. If I had sort of been mm. on Debs's side and been thinking, oh yeah, that is what's happening. Yeah. You know, she's cracked it. But the other issue with that is, I think some of it's to do with the fact that it's in black and white. Because there's one scene where she was going, oh, I love this sunshine. I was thinking it could be the middle of winter. Like, it's so hard for us to tell. So I think it was hard to tell how much time had actually elapsed from when she started. They never really said. And it's like, if we could, if it had been um, a film today where we'd see, I don't know, you'd see like, it it kind of becomes clear when you see this, you'll see the seasons. You see what I mean? Yeah, it could have happened in the space of a few days from what you see on screen. But it could have been. A year. Although even, like, one thing that made us chuckle in confusion was when she's talking to Mrs. Gross about Flora, and she says something like, she's not always a little girl, sometimes she's an old woman. And we're like, wait, hang on. Is she? (laughs) You've left, you know, we're struggling to catch up here, Dave. (laughs) 
Like, we're on board with the idea that you think she's possessed by the ghost of a dead young woman. Yeah. Where's the, who's the old woman? Is that... Is that because, like, back in the day, when you were 40, you were, like, really old? You looked about 70. <laughs> so, you know, life expectancy was 28 or whatever. Yeah, In Victorian England. I don't know. I don't know, but... But we both looked at each other, didn't we, and went... Is she? <laughs> I think the best way I can sum it up is, as a protagonist, neither of us had faith in Debs. No. You know, s- sometimes in a film, the protagonist will say, "Oh my god, I've worked it out. This is what ha- this is what's happening," and it just has the ring of truth within that story. Whereas in this case, we just felt like Debs was losing it a bit. Yeah. And for me, there is a question mark over were there ghosts in the house, but I think. I came away with the strong feeling that the ghosts were not trying to possess the kids. I think that was all on Debs. I agree. I kind of, I think what I took from it that was maybe the house was haunted, but I don't think the ghosts were as involved as she thought they were. Maybe she saw a guy, maybe she saw the ghost of someone on the tower. Maybe yeah. she saw the woman across the lake at once. But I don't think they were like coming after her and, and possessing the children. And actually there was no, Real ind- there was no real indication at all that the children were possessed. They were just... They were weird. <laughs> they were weird, probably quite lonely children who only had each other and did things their own way. But they, yeah, weren't, yeah. they weren't actually naughty or mental. Though he did get expelled. Yeah, but then that might have been because it, back in those days, you know, it might have just been like he said, because he said some weird things. Yeah. Maybe he was a... Trade unionist or something. <laughs> you know, I don't, what, what do you get expelled for back in Victorian times? But if you think about it, they're not exactly, they weren't exactly tolerant, were they? So it's like, he could have said anything, and then they're like, no, expelled. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, it's, it's not, wouldn't have taken a lot. Hi, I'm Jay, editor of Horrified, the new website that champions British horror. And what film better exemplifies British horror than The Innocents, Jack Clayton's 1961 take on Henry James' novella, The Turn of the Screw? I've always been fond of ghost stories. Straight-up horrors with a killer on the prowl, monsters terrorising villagers, or the more recent phenomena of found footage have all played an important part in my enjoyment of horror as a genre, but it's the ghost story that really prickles the back of the neck. Whistle and I'll Come to You was the first ghost story I ever saw on television, and the image of the sheets crumpling in a perverse and unnatural fashion really disturbed and exhilarated me. I then began to explore more ghostly tales on film and television to try and recapture that feeling of sweaty terror. I invited them all to do their worst to scare me. It was the innocence that accepted. The enduring images of the film are the figures of Peter Quint leering through the window, Miss Jessel standing stock still in the lakeside reeds, and of course Miss Giddens' final kiss for the dead miles. The best ghost stories on film are those in monochrome, where the shadows are just a little darker, and one can never quite be sure whether there's a spectre lurking in the corner. For The Innocents, cinematographer Freddie Francis even went as far as painting the corners of the lens for all the interior scenes played after dark in order to heighten the sense of claustrophobia. Of course, it pays off handsomely, and thus The Innocence is quite rightly cited as one of the finest examples of the ghost story on celluloid. 
So that was Jay, uh, the editor of the new Horrified magazine, which covers British horror. Um, if you've not read it yet, I heartily recommend it. You can find it at horrifiedmagazine.co.uk, as well as features on horror movies and horror TV. It's also got a wealth of short fiction, um, which is well worth a read. And also a lot of the features are really deep, in-depth stuff like um, gender in the descent. You know, it's not just throwaway reviews. There's some really thoughtful, essay, I want to say essays on mm. there, you know, critical analysis. Um, so definitely worth a look. It's uh, not been out very long, but it's already got a, a whole bunch of great content on there, including a couple by yours truly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little plug there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, funnily enough, I did a review of the Book of Horror by Matt Glasby <laughs> <laughs> for Horrified magazine. So this is, um, I think, um, the the monochrome photography, especially at night. I think he's he's right. That's a real highlight for me of the film. What really like that. He's bang on there. So claustrophobic. You know, it's 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 very intense, isn't it? The whole film, and they keep that up really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting in the description of dead space in the book of horror. Um, it's not just when there's too much space around somebody. It's also when there's too little. So you can't see what's going on around somebody. And there's a lot of close ups of faces in this. And I think those are especially effective in black and white. I think it also means you can't look away if something's uncomfortable. Like scenes such as when she's kissing Miles full on the lips and he's dead. Quite uncomfortable. Yeah. Got nowhere else really to look. <laughs> looking right at it, you know. Um, really uncomfortable, really claustrophobic. Yeah. And the yeah. first film that he watched, which I've never heard of either. Um, Whistle, Whistle and I'll come. come to you. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, maybe we'll see whether we can maybe have a watch of Whistle and I'll come to you at some point. Maybe we could get that on YouTube and uh, ah, do a little piece on that. I actually have that. So that is... Do you? Yeah. So it's not quite part of the BBC Ghost Stories for Christmas series. Okay. But it was a film they did before they started that, and it often gets lumped together with them, like on DVD box sets and stuff. It's sort of like the unofficial first Ghost Story for Christmas. Right. And I do have it in a Ghost Stories for Christmas box set, so maybe we could do an episode on the Ghost Stories for Christmas. And it's really cool because it goes all the way from really early black and white stuff to even today, they um, every few years they bring out uh, a ghost story for Christmas. Mark Gattis has done a few recent ones. I don't think I've ever heard of this, which is um, amazing because I love ghost stories and I love Christmas. Right, we will so, definitely do a ghost yeah. stories for Christmas marathon. Yeah, we'll do we, I'll be our little Christmas special. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be good. Excellent. And <laughs> it includes my favourite ghost story for Christmas, which is Lost Hearts. Aww. Which I think um, it should be interesting watching it with you to see if you share my admiration mm. of it. Yeah, definitely up for that. Brilliant. But big fan of Mark Gattis as well, so interesting to see. Yeah, what he's done. good. Mm. Cool. Fab. Right. So, are you ready for our next guest segment? I'm ready. I'm excited. Okay, this one's twice as long as the first two because there's two of them. Fair enough. So they get a double allocation. Here we go. Hello, my name's Kev. And I'm Gabriella. 
and we are from the Here Lies Amicus podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about The Innocents. Kev, would you like to go first about why you love this movie? Well, I'm all about sound. I do a lot of sound editing and I do a lot of music. This film has it all. The composer on it is George Auric, who is famously the composer on Dead of Night from 1945. Mm-hmm. And then the sound design itself, it predates all the 60s psychedelia with all the crazy echo effects and weird space noises as well. It's very disconcerting for a gothic horror. Also, Hammer and Amicus juggernaut Freddie Francis, who really comes to the fore in this one. I mean, it's all about suggestion. It's about the power of the mind. He forms it from the perspective of the governess. So you feel unworthy the whole time you're watching the film. Yeah. You feel like you can't get your footing because she can't get her footing. It may, it really, you know, you, you, it's often overused where they say, oh, this is from the perspective of a certain character. But this movie really is from a perspective of a certain character, thanks to Freddie Francis's direction. Yeah. Uh, superb behind the camera. Even down to him actually having special lenses created for the photography on this. Everything's in a kind of a tunnel. You've got a halo effect around the edge of the screen all the way through the film, just so that everything's kind of just out the corner of your eye. Yes, as you say, corner of the eye stuff. Mm, just like the haunting, you know, and stuff like that. It's better left up to the imagination than actually seeing it for real. It's the power of the audience's mind. It gives the audience more credit than a lot of horror movies do now, actually. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we have to give credit to Deborah Carr, who gives a career best in this form. Exactly. I love her in everything. Um, you know, The King and I, <laughs> even though you don't. Love her that, yeah. Ugh, musicals. But she draws you into the character and everything like that. I mean, you, you really go on a journey with her, basically. And not for a moment does she give a performance that is overwrought in the wrong way or, or goes on for too long in certain ways. Everything is just mm. pitch perfect, beat, beat, you know. It's fantastic. Yeah. I do like the Michael Redgrave School of Childcare as well. It's not particularly successful, but it's a lovely idea. Yeah, you just dump your unwanted niece and nephew on a very inexperienced governess, just put them in the middle of nowhere. It's all going to work out really well. I do like the uh, idea of the circular ending as well. Again, uh, it's harking back to Dead of Night. Exactly. You don't really know, was any of this real or was it a figment Mm. of all of the characters' imaginations? Was it the fact that these children were so isolated, they've never had... A proper caregiver until she came along is she being hypersensitive you never know that's why we love the innocence definitely if you haven't seen it i don't really know why you're listening to this but if you haven't seen it go and watch it and if you have seen it just go and watch, watch it, it again. again and that's who we're going to be when we grow up <laughs> yes. hey. yeah i you know i i uh have seen very little amicus and um, but i've started listening to their podcast recently and it's really good uh, so I do recommend it. They do seem to be a lot better than us, uh, like knowing f- things <laughs> about the films oh, they're doing. Yeah, our only downfall: <laughs> knowing things about the film. I know, I know. Might um, just sharpen up a bit. Again, having these guest segments this week has been great because it's actually really interesting for people to explain the techniques that we don't necessarily know about because. I think when we when we do these podcasts, I for one definitely I don't like to know too much about the film because I feel like I want to come into this not knowing a lot about it, and then when we actually talk about it, it's just kind of my yeah, yeah. first impressions. But it's actually lovely to have you know our guest speakers talking about the techniques and having done some more research into the film, they can talk more in depth about it, and that's 
more info for the audience. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. So our style is very much, <laughs> let's have a takeaway and watch a film. It is. And have a bit of a natter about it. Yeah, you know, we're upfront about that. But no, it was really lovely to um, actually, someone to explain those those techniques. And then you go, ah, oh, yeah. I think it was really interesting what they said about sound because it was actually thinking about it ahead of its time. Even little details like when Deb sees Miles in the garden and she calls out to him Miles and her, her voice echoes. Yeah. In real life, if you're shouting out of the window into a garden, your voice won't echo. Mm. Good point. No, I never even thought of that. And there's a lot of that. And the laughter. The laughter's really creepy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very That's much very so. That's very echoey as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's a really cool detail about the film. And I agree. If you have watched it, watch it again. So, should we have a look at Rotten Tomatoes? Yep, let's play our Rotten Tomatoes game. Uh, Whose go is it to guess first? I'm not sure. Maybe you? Okay, I'm going to guess, based on the fact that this is regarded as one of the best ever horror films. Yeah. But also based on the fact that there's always some contrarian who will try and be... Too cool for school. Yeah. I think 98%. Ooh, okay. I'm going to go 92 because I think there might be some people, you always get this a bit, don't you? People who don't like older films. Yeah. So I'm going to go just slightly lower because of that. Right, should we have a look? So, do we want Tomatometer? Let's start with the Tomatometer. Tomatometer is, drum roll please. Ninety-four percent. Ninety-four percent. Yeah. So you actually won that because you were closest. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the audience score. I reckon that's going to be lower because people are philistines. Eighty-six mm, percent. So oh. Right there, Alice. Yeah, eighty-six. Critics' consensus: creepily atmospheric. The Innocence is a stylishly crafted, chilling British ghost tale with Deborah Kerr at her finest. Do we want any splodges or? Can you see? Can you see a splodge? Yeah. Can you see a bad review? Yeah, critics or audience? Critics. Critics. You all critics. Come on, guys, give us a splodge. I want to know yes. who is a professional critic who thinks this is a bad film. We've got one. Oh, <laughs> this is interesting. So Dave Kerr or Kerr from Chicago Reader says, "Too much Freud and too little thought." I hope that's not Deborah's son. <laughs> Different, different spelling of care. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, totally. Uh, despite some passably Jamesian dialogue and adequate to good acting, the film too often comes over as a prettily decorated edition of a six spinster's diary. Wow. Mega burn there. Hey. Mega burn on Debs. A six spinster. Six spinster. Oh, six me and. spinster, you. I always think the word spinster is pretty horrible as well. Why do, like, men get bachelor? Like, hey, I've got my cigar, <laughs> my scotch, and I'm cooling about the town. No woman has ever described her flat as a spinster <laughs> pad. <laughs> Literally no one. That has never been said in the history of the world. <laughs> yeah, and it's like in America, they have a bachelorette party. They don't have a spinster party. party. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like a shit party? Really shit. <laughs> 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 yeah, 
Yeah, it sounds pretty crap. Um, do we want a, a good review? Yeah. This is, I'll just do a little quick one. This is from The Times. It must be granted at once that no shot, no sequence approaches James, but there are moments when the film faithfully reflects that existence of evil in the innocent, which is the core of the written word. It's quite... <laughs> Probably should have quickly read it first. So that, that is one of those snippets where you have to look at whether it's a green splodge or a red tomato because you don't have a clue if it's praised sure. or not. Yeah. I only knew because the tomato was present. And maybe they didn't know. I mean, who knows? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's one from Bitch Flicks. I just enjoy the name, so. Right, let's have Bitch Flicks. So bitch Flicks. In horror movies, women are often a sobbing mess for much of the film. But Deborah Kerr soldiers through the scares, clear-eyed until the end when her tears are truly earned. True. But yeah, I mean, to be to be honest, you're always going to get some splodges. But yeah, yeah, most yeah. most people here think it's a classic. Um, and that you've got some top critics giving it really good reviews, so I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Jack. Oh. Uh. He's going to be over the moon when he hears <laughs> this. Is he dead? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, yeah, he must be. It he was must... 60 years ago. <laughs> he's he's either dead <laughs> or extremely old. That's what I would say. You, know, you never know because Vera Lynn, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I mean, I thought she died many a time, but she was still soldiering on. God rest her. So next week, we are going to be watching and reviewing Ghost Heist? Polterheist. Polterheist! <laughs> Polterheist. <laughs> this is a film I've wanted to see for ages. Yeah, Polter. Based purely on the, the name of it. I couldn't find it on Amazon Prime, but I just ordered a DVD. All right, brilliant. Well, I think that's cool. all from me. I think that's all from me. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Tune in next time for more Midweek Horror. Don't get scared now. <laughs> <laughs>